Hello, everyone. Welcome to Quantum Nurse Podcast, Out of the Rabbit Hole from Stress to Bliss. I am Grace Asagra, your holistic registered nurse with over 30 years of clinical experience, plus my immersion in the indigenous science of healing ways in the Philippines. Today, I'd like to welcome our guest, dear Dr. Ahmed Al-Hafed. Welcome, Dr. Ahmed Hal-Afed. Thank you for being here. And yes, we welcome our audience as well. Thank you for having me. Glad to be there. So with Dr. Al-Afed, we're going to talk about emotional autonomy. And I'm going to share with you a little bit. I say a little bit because he has a long history of accomplishments. So bear with me and whatever he needs to share with you and with all of us, you know, that will just come through our conversation. So you, you originally came from Austria and you are married with three children and you currently live in Germany. That's right. Well, actually, to be, to be perfectly right, I was born in Baghdad in Iraq, and uh, I, I first grew up um, in, in Switzerland the first years, and then we moved with my family when I was about five years old, we moved to Austria. And so I, I grew up most of the time in Vienna in Austria, and that was my first uh, main station in life, you could say. And uh, yeah, and then I, I, in between, I had a few years in the USA and also in Lebanon while I studied in the American system. And then I moved on to come to Germany here and I've been here for the last 15, 20 years approximately and I've been working here uh, since then. Oh, thank you. I always find individuals who has lived in a number of places, especially outside their birthplace, very interesting and they i i can relate to them faster actually because they've experienced living outside just like me living outside the philippines oh yes okay and in your in your bio you uh, had all this fantastic educational and work experience and you by profession you are you're a psychotherapist that's right yes that's right. So, and, you have, uh, you, and you have all, other than those, your psychotherapist training, you have like education in mathematics, in science, and you have been, you know, you've worked with different production, television, you know, entertainment. So what, what a fantastic work experience and education. Yeah, it's part of, you know, it's uh, part of finding uh, yourself, it's, at least for me, it was very interesting. And now that you've mentioned that, it's, it, it, it came to me that, oh, yes, that's true. And th these are partially completely different fields. Um, but I believe that, you know, we go through life and we experience things that allow us to unfold our potentials. And so that's how it came about but it's been a while since I haven't worked uh, a television <laughs> station mm -hmm. and stuff like that 
And also, this caught my eyes. You did brain studies as well. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's, uh, that was part of actually, that was something I really got interested in on my own because I got acquainted with meditation about 25 years ago. And I was about 20 years and I grabbed a book at the time and I didn't know what it was. It just caught my attention very, very deeply. And I bought that book. It was a book about meditation and I didn't know really what this was all about. And then that's how I started getting into meditation. And uh, eventually I decided to go uh, to the USA to, uh, to make uh, research on the, the brain of people who meditate regularly and to see what possible differences there are and notably with regard to the EEGs uh, of their brain. So it was very fascinating actually to see that meditation does make a very, very big difference. Uh, and you can measure that really from an objective point of view. So that was part of, you know, something I, I did and I was really passionate about. And uh, yeah, I keep talking about meditation here and there and, and, and emphasize that in some therapies. Um, but uh, yeah, that's 20 years ago when I did that. Fantastic. So now my audience knows what we're into. It's such a treat to have you. And I'm sure I learn a lot and they too. And in language, you are fluent in four languages. German, English, French, Arabic. <laughs> and who knows? I, I wouldn't be surprised if you're studying something on the side also. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm not. And, and this is actually something that I, I never felt uh, sort of that it was a particular achievement because by the time I was 18, in fact, I spoke all of these languages. Um, I must say that I don't write and read Arabic very well because that's a different alphabet and I've, I never practiced it so regularly. But, um, but I grew up in this international environment and when you're, a ch when you're a child, you just grasp everything very quickly and you, you, just, uh, you just take it like you know, learning an instrument much, much easier than when you're an adult. So by the time I was 18, I spoke four languages and I didn't even know why. So um, today I'm kind of happy about it, but it wasn't really one of, one, of, one of the achievements that I could say I'm really, really proud about. But yeah, I'm <laughs> thankful for it. Hey, you know, I know that many people will be happy to speak another language. So for you, if you don't think that's an achievement, trust me, most of us will envy <laughs> having more than one language. So at least I know my language and yes. you know Filipinos have also sub languages and I'm yes. excited to do that. And I can imagine what hap what's happening in our brain, you know, when you speak different languages. <laughs> <laughs> but do you speak Spanish, for example? Um, I can pick up a few words okay. and if I travel to a Spanish speaking country, in a yes. few days, I can pick up the language and the basic conversation that yes. sometimes Spanish-speaking people think I can really speak the language. Yes. <laughs> so yes, yes. That would be fast. <laughs> Filipinos tend to also learn the language fast other than the 
you know, Filipino language. But I think that's also true to anyone who speaks more than one language. That's right, yes. <laughs> and yes. Your, all your hobbies, that photography, videography, outdoors, football, cooking, and eating. So you see how all of these are also different from your mental educational activities. I think that's equally important that you do, you have those hobbies. And I wanna share, I wanna share that per, your personal statement that you wrote that your main alignment is to empower people to develop the conviction, the capacity and the courage to be authentic and responsible for their actions by understanding their own emotional logic and their inner values. That's right. Yes, that's basically something that unfolded gradually with, with the work that I've been doing for the last 15 years, mainly almost 20 years. And, and also it's, it was a very, very intimate experience that I made when I was in, in training and when I worked in the hospital, I remember the days when I started um, as an intern in the hospital in Berlin, I didn't know anything about the treatment of mental diseases. In fact, although I, I had already graduated and I knew a lot of theory, but I had no idea how to treat a patient. And I remember that my self-esteem was very low and I was in, in between of all of these doctors who were, who were much more experienced than me. And it was a very difficult atmosphere. And it was, I felt that I was under pressure. And, and that during those days, I learned one thing, and that is that I should stand up for myself and that I, that I should learn to raise my voice and not fear making mistakes, although I was always afraid of saying something stupid or something wrong and um, it was looking back for me those days were made mainly very important for one aspect and that is to have the the courage to accept totally what I carry inside of me and that is not only related to mental aspect things that I think about or chains of thought that I carry in me, but mainly also about my feelings. And as it, as it turned out also, the, the, the main aspect that helps people heal um, in the field that I work in is to recognize the feelings that they carry inside. Of course, we help them doing that. Um, and also to understand that feelings are associated with universal needs and we all have universal needs. They're very human, but very often we tend to undermine those needs or to be ashamed of them as, as well as of the feelings. And so that's how it came to me that I realized that um, for many, many mental issues that people have, there's this one thing in common almost unconditionally that you could see it uh, in every patient or every human being, you could also say, not only for the sick people. And that is that people are not aware of what they need and they're scared 
of being who they are and that on a daily basis. And so um, I then noticed that when that happens and that happens to almost all of us that at some point we're scared to say something, we're scared to you know, give an opinion or to say no and so on. And when we do that, we compromise each, we compromise ourselves. And that is why what I mean by empowering people to be themselves, um, by understanding the functioning of their inner mechanisms. Interesting, because it seems like, not just in my culture, but also I've seen it a lot in American culture. So perhaps again, it is the same all over the world that when we're ra- when they're in terms of raising children, we tend to, or even to adults when we're grown, we tend to say, don't be a crybaby. Or right. then we said, be strong. Or, you yes. know, for little ones. And yes. so, you know, and, and, and then, oh, statements like, don't be so emotional. So I don't, so how can we like, make our uh, audience understand, uh, help us to understand that there's nothing wrong with our emotions because a lot of people seem to bottle them up, especially nowadays. Mm, Absolutely. You you touched a very important aspect in that, uh, namely that the way we go around and to deal with our emotions depends on how our parents and our environment dealt with our emotions when we were children. So there's also a symbolic saying that goes like, uh, the child uh, looks at the the mother, particularly in the first three years, and the, the eyes of the mother are like a mirror for the child. So everything that happens uh, in those interactions during the first years, these relationship qualities are decisive for the rest of our lives. Now, it doesn't mean that we cannot sort of improve certain things or change certain convictions that we got implemented, but whatever happens during those first years is very, very decisive. And I, I know that for a lot of people also when, when they come to the clinic or they come uh, to me to the treatment, very often they expect that it's going to be something very complicated and something very um, sophisticated uh, and usually, well, not, not all of them, but, but some of them want to get tablets, you know, so that we give them medicine. I tell them, no, we, we have to understand first what's going on. And very often what's, what strikes a lot of people is that simply by the mere fact of having someone listening to you, the mere fact of being listened to helps a lot of people during the first sessions because some people have not been listened to for a long time and some people, people have never been taken care of or even listened to in their childhood. And so we're talking about very basic things that can heal human beings. And this is something that I've always found uh, very, very fascinating. And, and I keep reminding myself whenever I feel sometimes in therapies that I should do more and think about 
you know, implementing a new intervention or so. And then very often I get sometimes remembered by patients that everything is all right, that they're very happy by the mere fact that they come and then that they have someone to listen to, uh, who listens to them and takes them seriously. And with regard to what you said, uh, the, the emotional things, that this is something that's also across cultures, almost across all cultures, that, for example, men are afraid to talk about their feelings, um, that, you know, we tend to think that, you know, you should be rational in life, and, and the more rational you are, the more, um, the, the stronger and more valuable you are as a, as a being. And that is not, not really the case. Um, I could talk a lot about all these things that are associated with feelings, uh, but, but um, there's one, maybe one, one um, comparison or one quality that I like to speak about very much, which is the contrast between what we call sort of male energy versus female energy. Now, male energy, is associated with sort of um, when you want to realize a project and it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman this is this is not about the the sex this is about um, a quality that you in, that you activate when you want to do something in your life so for example if you want to uh, cook something for tw for 20 persons or when you want to enroll in the business accelerator and then move on with your life and, and create a great podcast or whatever it is that you want to do in life, which is related to creating something on the outside, you need male energy. Now, female energy, on the other hand, is something very important because with female energy, you leave everything that's outside as it is. And you say, I don't want to deal with that. I'll just leave it as it is. If there's a bomb, if there's war, if there's people shouting, it doesn't matter. I use female energy as, in that sense in order to accept what's going on and deal with my feelings. And this is about, from the symbolic aspect, we say that it's like the mother who carries the child and says, don't worry, everything is okay. You're safe. I love you. Be warm. And, and, and close your eyes, everything is okay, just forget what's outside. And so this is a very important energy, which uh, not many people in our world, in our modern world, take seriously. You, you, what, while you were talking, the image that came to me is that the male energy is a little bit more the outward expression, yes. then the female energy is a little bit more of the embrace expression. So then I, I also, it reminded me of, you know, the thing that I wrote, uh, I mean, I read about scalar waves and electromagnetic frequencies that on the DNA strand of uh, when each of us were born, that we have that 12 set of strand that is the first one is the magnetic energy and that came from the maternal DNA. And then the other set of 12 
came from the paternal energy, which is more the electrical frequency. Oh, so, yes. you know, it seems like no matter whether we talk about just us as a person, as a whole, those both energies always have to have a play or have a game so that it could be balanced, right? And so that, that, that whatever we're facing from childhood and now as an adult that could help us. So take, take me to that experience in meditation. Because in meditation, as far as I remember, there are also meditation practices that encourages one practitioner to notice your feeling while you're meditating. Well, the interesting thing is that there are many ways to approach um, meditation. I have, from my experience, very also very pragmatic ones, very practical ones. Now, one very obvious advantage of the meditation practice is that you learn to be more aware of everything that's going on around you and inside of you. So I tend to give sometimes also the example that with the more you meditate and the more you become aware of what's going on in your life in every moment, for example, you might still become angry, but the difference is that after a certain practice, a certain while practicing the 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 anger the anger that you get is not intertwined inside of you so that that you're not really aware of it and then you tend to do something more unaware of yourself maybe something even destructive because you are not really aware of your anger so the anger is like a stimulus and then after that you just you're you're triggered right away whereas through meditation you still get angry, possibly, but you can see the anger as a person in front of you almost. And then you can say the moment you have this distance, then you have the freedom to decide how you're going to react. And this is something very, very valuable, obviously, in every aspect of your life. Now, of course, you I could keep on talking about a lot of things on a physical level as well that happen. Um, but there is something also very significant um, that I consider maybe maybe in our in our in our physical materialistic way of thinking uh, it's, it's it's not really understood at all. But 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 through meditating, I tell people you can med meditate in many different ways. But the main idea there is, is that you get most as much moments of, as possible where you have no thoughts and you are awake. So you could basically use many meditative methods and techniques in order to, let's say, trick your thinking dimension, the intellect part. Because when we think too much and some people say even that we are the, the that the biggest um the biggest dependency that we have that we are not aware of is not alcohol is not smoking is not drugs it's thinking 
because we cannot stop thinking even if we want to. And so meditation is very important for that because when you are able to reduce that, then you can get energy from above. And that's when you fuel up your entire system. And so this is the meditative advantage, if you like, from a spiritual uh, point of view or from an energetic point of view. That's fantastic um, because I know that sometimes people would say, well, and usually some culture said, we can just sit down. You know, the usual, the, the usual picture of meditation is you sit down and be quiet, right? And they say, I, you, I can't just sit down. And then so I said, so how do you meditate? Because he said, when I'm driving my car and no one is with me, sometimes there's, that's when I can really like be connected to a source higher than myself. I said, that's, that's perfect. Because I heard again from someone when I'm riding my bike, that's when they, or when they're running. So, you know, everyone, I guess, has to find their way yes, and experience yes. it. Now, Absolutely. Earlier, you also men mentioned about fear and that reminded me of an indigenous teaching. And I say indigenous just because I heard it already when I was still young. And that fear is like the underlying cause for all illnesses. Okay. And so I'm thinking again to the current times when it is, it is like an air of fear from all over, you know, and for everyone just responds to the situation in fear. So I'm just, I'm just conscious, I guess, that sooner or later, there'll be some effects, adverse effects on how one can chronically always be in fear. What's, what could be our best, um, you know, how, how can one alleviate some fear of what's going on right now? Well, as a psychotherapist, first, I would, of course, check what type of anxiety a person has. Now, there are so many types of fears. There are, you know, people who have general anxiety disorders. So those uh, people tend to be afraid of catastrophes. They're kind of always afraid as if something very terrible is going to happen soon and and they're very pessimistic and they're um, very very nervous also but you also have people who are generally up, up, up to a certain point very stable and then they get suddenly panic attacks and so their fear uh, arises from those panic attacks panic attacks can then cause a sort of a secondary fear which is the fear of the panic attacks, a fear of becoming another panic attack. Um, and you have people who are afraid because of, a, we, we, we speak of an inner, inner fear, which is an inner conflict, which is behind that. So for example, if I, am, if I am working in a company and all of a sudden I get a new boss and I feel not comfortable at all, at all with that person and so I start carrying a small fear inside of me all the time. Um, I tend to say in either way 
I would tend to tell people, use your fear as a guideline. Make fear your friend and try to find out what this friend has to tell you. Now, generally people will, t will tend to have difficulties accepting fear as something good. Um, but this is really something essential to be able to be more aware. And you could also use, for example, many other symptoms similarly. So for example, if people have pain in their bodies, chronic pain, one of the very, very useful ways to deal with pain is not to sort of uh, get rid of it because that's what we usually tend to think. We want to get rid of our fear. We want to get rid of our pain of everything else. We consider, we consider it as not part of ourselves. That's because we have a very, um, we, we live under the, the objective scientific paradigm, which has one negative consequence with it. And that is we dissect everything whereas actually everything is one and connected in a way. And so this is a problem when people come and they, you know, they say, I want to get rid of my fear. And I will tell them, well, you know, your fear, your fear is trying to tell you something. Let's try to understand what's going on. And moving away from the fear or from the pain, I would tend to say that our, the structure of our human system, of our human psyche is such that when we have a symptom, the symptom, whatever it is, whether it's fear, pain, depression, and so on, it is a signal for something inside which is out of balance, you could say. And understanding what's going on is essential in order for us to make a change. So and almost, in, from my experience, with almost every disease, not only mental disease, but physical disease. With most of the diseases, especially chronic diseases, you will find something that should be changed in your life that could alleviate or heal the problem. And um, this is something that more and more doctors are also integrating nowadays, but we're still far away, I would say, from it. I, I, I hear you. And and you used one word that if you can expand more, okay? Because you used that word and I like that word when, you, <laughs> when, when someone says connected. It's like yes. connectivity. So uh, as opposed to separation, yes. okay? Yeah, because when, when I guess when we, and that word I appreciate so much. Because when I remember that word, then I, all the other like strong fears, because I think we will have some type of fear, but it up to what degree and what are we going to do with it is, is, what, you know, is, is how we're going to be with that fear. So right. tell me again about that connectivity and how connected, because then if we can just uh, connect it to the global situation as well. Mm -hmm. especially with the presence of the internet. Yes. Well, um, the 
can you can you make your question more concrete because i could talk, talk about many aspects what yeah. do you have in mind specifically okay like we're scared so, example is like the people who lost their jobs yes, okay. yes one can lose their job so there's fear of that that they until when the government can give them the unemployment if they're giving such benefit okay because if they open their eyes the economy is not really doing well based on what you see maybe that not based on what wall street will show us which is really i don't i'm not an expert but just an observant that how can that be <laughs> who knows okay yeah then with that how can one see that their problem is not just their own problem but also just remembering that someone has other problems because there's one lady like you know how i i as a holistic nurse i still take care of clients with dementia and mm -hmm. one elder will say well you know if you you if if the government will not allow the um center to open because that's where they get a lot of a lot of hugging from us a lot of love a lot of interaction with which i know you as a psychotherapist will uh, appreciate that power of socialization plus a center led and managed by a holistic nurse not like me so then they say well they could just give us more money then so then yes. like there's a disconnect there i said mm, yes excuse me are you listening to yourself yes yeah. absolutely yeah, yeah. well it, uh, with, with, with regard to the internet um i've always had an ambivalent attitude towards it uh, on one hand i feel that the internet uh, has connected the whole world in fact i mean we're sitting here together we can see each other um we can hear and feel each other in a way of course it does not substitute a real encounter it does not substitute the touch uh, that that a nurse gives to a patient or to any other person a mother uh, the touch that a mother gives to her child and so on and so forth but i think there are many positive aspects on one hand related with this new way of connecting connection but there is also in my opinion this is something that i'm afraid of i see also very dark intentions behind that um so that's why for example a lot of a lot of people have been discussing the the way that for example 5g is coming right now and probably you've heard about you know the dangers of 5g and and how it's been already implemented and, and so on and so forth and something that's that's been striking me is that when i look at the advertisements that they make for example here in germany for 5g they always use this argument they say oh how wonderful the, the world is going to become with 5g because because we're going to be even more connected than before and i feel that there is a dark intention behind that i i i it doesn't it doesn't comfort me because i tend to think to myself well you know i like this technology and this technology but hey let's let's also not forget 
what is the main value for us human beings. And that is the real contact, the real interaction. And in fact, to, to put that um, in perspective, there is um, a longitudinal study that was made, um, which finished five years ago, approximately. It was one of the longest experiments ever made in the history of um, science and also particularly of social sciences. And that is they analyzed, they started about 80 years ago and they raised the question, what is it that makes human beings happy and also healthy, but mainly happy or satisfied? That was the wording, I think. And so the, um, the initial people who started this study, they took on about 500 uh, participants and they uh, took every participant and they analyzed every aspect of their lives. So they interviewed them regularly every year or two. They looked at, okay, how's their health? How's their relationship? Are they still married? How are their children? Uh, how's their job and so on. So they had them piled up a mass of information, huge amount of information. And during those 80 years, the teams switched three times. And finally, at the end of those 80 years, uh, uh, only 30 people were, were still alive from the 500. And they analyzed, they, as we said, they, they summarized uh, all the statistics of all the data that was available, and they came up clearly with one significant factor that makes people happy and healthy. Do you know what that is? No, tell me. The amount and the quality of relationships they had in their lives. So wow. that was wow. the best indicator, and this is a scientific study, and I think it says everything about us. We are social animals. Yep. And whether we like it or not, there whether is some like type it. of relationship, some yes. type of relations in whatever form. But of course, as human beings, we're, we need a tactile touch, you know? Okay. Yes. So, well, what makes you happy? I guess there are many things that I could list, but ultimately the one thing that is most important to me is to be connected with my family. I think this is probably the most important aspect. Although of course we get used to each other, we get used to the daily routine, but you know, when you, it reminds me of Steve Jobs, the, the, you know, the guy who created Apple when he was in his last days and he was uh, almost dying, he left a few words. And uh, I remember, I don't know the exact wording, but he said basically that he had reached everything in life, everything that one can dream of from a material perspective, economic perspective. He had everything he wanted. He could buy anything he wants. He was living in luxury. He was very powerful. But he said that ultimately he realized this at the end of his life that the most important thing 
are his relationships or were his relationships. And, and I think that, you know, if I break it down, there are many things that I like. And one thing that I also, beyond my family, I also like to celebrate gatherings. I enjoy seeing friends and spending a whole day with them and laughing and cheering and talking about life. And, and um, this is, I think, what brings light to my life. Yeah. And uh, when I think about that, those gatherings, I even think about those huge um, social halls or yes. just, you know, just even those big basketball or sports arena. I said, wow, what are, what's going to happen to all of those buildings first? And I said, oh, what's going to happen to all those who wants to celebrate that that's big, whatever celebration from small family to a, the whole class. It, it, I don't know, but I think of those sometimes that keeps me awake at night. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. Now, have you ever been in, uh, you know, what I call the, being in a rabbit hole or have you experienced such a failure and how did you get out of it? In fact, until the end of last year, the three years prior to that, I, uh, I was in the deepest crisis, probably the deepest crisis of, of, of my life. Uh, and we, it was connected to very difficult problems that we had because of a house that we built which turned out to be very, very complicated. It took forever. It, put, it became very costly. It put us uh, under financial pressure. And then when we moved in, uh, we had to move out after three months because there was a problem, a technical problem with the pipe uh, of um, the water, the toilet water. And so one night when we were, were about to go to sleep, all the dirty water came inside the house come from the outside, from the municipality. So we had to leave the house overnight. And the, the years prior to that were also very difficult because I had a contract with the uh, main insurance, uh, state insurance uh, of, the, of the German state. And uh, people like me who treated um, refugees coming from different countries, uh, they in initially told us that, that we get a contract and that we would get paid. And ultimately what happened is that because of a political conflict between different parties, all of a sudden we, did, we didn't get paid. And so I stood uh, there and I didn't get paid for a whole year of work. And, uh, that was very difficult and all came at the same time. And it felt that even during that time, I thought to myself, I'm going to try to get out of, I have to get, uh, get out of this. And so I tried different projects and all of the projects were very interesting for many people, but it seemed that whatever I would do, nothing would work. All the doors were closed. Nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing would function in my life during those three years. 
and it was very scary. It was very, it was a, it was a real challenge to my, to my faith. I never really stopped judging myself in a negative way, not, 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 not in a serious way, but I, I almost lost my faith in, you know, in the higher intelligence because I was wondering, well, when is it going to stop? And very interestingly, um, in, in November of last year, it stopped. And it, it, it didn't just stop, but then miracles starting ha started happening moment after moment after moment. And we, we had so much luck all of a sudden. And it felt to me, and it still does feel until today, that it was meant to happen. It was just meant to happen. We, you know, some people speak of karma. I also believe in karma. And it was a real test for me and for my family. But you know what? We all say the same thing. We feel that it made us stronger and it made our belief stronger. And I feel that I, I am much more independent from such things as money, as rules and regulations. And I feel and I know that whatever happens, I'm never going to fall down. I have this conviction that there is a higher power that is always going to give me what I need at the right time. And I read a lot about about this, but I never really knew what it meant until the last years occurred. And now I really know that I can really actually just lay back and do what I feel is necessary, but not go crazy. Well, again, in ancient indigenous people would say um, that the best teacher is the experience. And he said, no matter what we hear, we learn outside, or we think, you know, it could be in a thousand research papers, scientific papers, and that's well and good to know about it. But the importance is how do we experience such results on the paper? And, um, and could you relate to that? story that you just said and thanks for sharing that story okay because I know uh, almost everyone has some story that they really feel like that's the end of their faith right um, can you um, is that now after that is that what you call now having that a strong emotional autonomy that is definitely one part of it, I would say that that was, this is the part that is even the higher, the higher one. The one that I actually mean, which I think is the one th that every human being, or not everyone, but most people would start with, is by understanding that they have de developed in a certain way, depending on what type of childhood they had, what type of parents they had, 
and what type of fears they have integrated. So it's very important to start by understanding why you have certain patterns and habits that are destructive towards yourself and maybe towards others. Because uh, most of us have sort of unconscious, unconsciously rotating patterns of behavior. And it's, it's very important to understand and be aware of that because when you are aware of your fears and when you can overcome those fears, then you become gradually emotionally autonomous because you're not afraid of being angry anymore. You're not afraid of being jealous anymore, of, of being scared, of being sad. You can deal with that because you say, oh, well, that's part of me. I can speak about it. I can uh, relate to others who have it. And that's, that's the first step of emotional autonomy. And in my personal experience, the, the, the one that you've mentioned now that I have learned in the last years, I feel this is the, this is the higher step of emotional autonomy when you can come and say, well, you know what? I don't have to worry about everything. I can, I can just rely on a higher power taking care of me. And, but I think that there is a, a prerequisite to start uh, below and then you move up gradually. We have to work for it, right? You have to work for it, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> nothing is given freely and that's yeah, nothing. We have to keep remind, reminding ourselves. Now, if, did you, what's your best, what's the best advice that you have been given to you? Because remember when you shared that story also that when you were an intern and then you were in the middle of all these other professionals and you said you're, you're really, you know, feeling insecure as well. Yes, absolutely. Well, there are many advices that came along, but interestingly enough, when, when you raise that question, um, it reminds me of a very, very warm and kind nurse that was working in the team. And, you know, at the time I was, I was 28 years old and she was in her 50s, but she was a very, very warm hearted nurse. And she was the, the boss of the other nurses, basically, in our team. And she noticed in the very beginning that I was kind of insecure and not saying much. And so at times the, the team was asking me questions about my patients and I was, you know, obviously very um, quiet and very uh, short in my, uh, in my information. And she told me then, and at the time I was kind of ashamed when she said that, but she told me, you have to practice this here practice being yourself and getting out of yourself and trusting that you're competent enough. And she said, if you're not going to do it here, where, where are you going to do it? You know? And so it's, I wouldn't, I don't know if I really listened to that advice, but it definitely opened my eyes and told me there, there, there's only one way I have to get out of there and say who I am and say what I think. The, for me, the fact that that came into your mind and you share that story 
somewhere in your consciousness, you were able to treasure that. And that was an impact. Because it really reminds me when I, I, I was in critical care for 20 years in ICU. And so I, we, I, I met a lot of interns and I usually first ask them what they've done before, how did they decide to be a physician, and what are they going to do after their internship? Because I always try to steer them to have their own practice. <laughs> mm, yes. Because I think when they have their own practice, it's empowering because I am fully aware about the system that you know, sometimes some very good physicians are not, they don't shine to be really good because of the system where they belong. So I right. used to have a conversation with, so I could be that 50-year-old, <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> that was a wise nurse. And, and right. I'm going to claim also that compliment for nurses because nurses are always the hub of yes. a lot of things. <laughs> yes. In fact, for, in fact, for, some, for both clients, uh, for both patients, family, and uh, interns or any professional, I'll say, if you want to have not to, not to have a very difficult time in the hospital as an intern or as a family member, make friends with a nurse. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I agree. find a good nurse that can be on your side, okay? Yes. Can reset. <laughs> so thanks for sharing that story. And so, and if there is a 21-year-old Ahmed Al-Hafed, what will you say your best advice for the 21-year-old? I would tell a young person of that age to go ahead and live, live out every impulse, every feeling that you have inside and use it as your main compass in life. Whatever you do, take your time to find out, out what you want to do in life and, and enjoy every moment of it. And, and you can do that mainly if you can be who you are in every moment and with everybody, because that's, that, that's the basis of being connected to other people. If you can accept yourself and love yourself to a certain extent, at least, then to that extent, you can also be connected to other people and love them and be loved. And this is, this is the main part of life. Everything else will unfold on that, on that basis. That's powerful advice. And um, you know, what, what is most important then in your work or what, what do you love most in what you do now? Well, you see, the thing is that I, I love what I do in the sense uh, of sitting with people and listening to their problems, especially in the beginning when new, new patients come with new issues. And people don't tell, tell you their problems right away. They don't serve it to you on a silver plate. 
they give you something and they, then you have to make the, the analysis and the interpretation of the underlying causes. So I like doing that. And I also like the, the fact that people appreciate that I show them gradually that that they cannot or that they should not be afraid of the sort of darker parts of their personality. And so I, I speak very openly about bad habits or bad traits. And this is something that's very rewarding at times when you see people who at some point uh, um, integrate these darker sides into their lives and they start taking responsibility for their whole system and say, well, yeah, that's part of myself. And now I'm going to start doing what I want. And there's something magical when somebody says no for the first time of her life or his life. Saying no in life sometimes is like a, um, a new birth that is given to you, especially if you haven't been able to say, say no in your life to anyone because you were afraid and you've been, you've been um, put down your, your whole childhood or something like this. So I, I like an, analyzing these conflicts and, and understanding what's going on um, and giving that to people sort of and, and giving that to people in a way that they can also understand it. Because let's not forget the concept that Brian spoke about yesterday, which is very, very familiar to me from, from a theoretical standpoint, the, the concept of resistance. People have a lot of resistance in my job. They come to us with a mountain of resistance. And so we have to deal with that. And you have to take decisions and you have to think about what are, what are you gonna say? And sometimes, you know, or you think you know that that this is the problem of a certain person. And even if you're right, if the per person in front of you, sitting in front of you, is not ready to integrate that in her life, then you're not going to be helpful or successful at all. And so these are also a lot of things to consider when you engage into psychotherapeutic treatments. And it makes I feel my job is, is very, is very, very interesting and deep and it makes me grow as a person. But now I've come to a point where I want to do this in a different way. I want to access people in different ways and different media. So that's why well, I'm in a new era. Do you have any one daily habit so that you could uh, go through resistance? Because, yeah, we all have resistance. Yeah. Well, that's very easy to answer, actually. The one habit to, to deal with resistance, amongst other things, is to speak about your feelings. Speak about them. Yesterday, Brian said something that's very familiar to me, which is to show your vulnerability 
you know, this is part of speaking about your feelings to just say what, what's going on with you. And I, um, I did that yesterday with my video after that evening. Um, I stated that I was kind of afraid of what's coming, you know, I didn't know what was coming that I was not comfortable with so much homework all of a sudden, in addition uh, uh, to, uh, to everything else I have to do right now. And so it gave me, it gave me some security to speak about this, not only through the video, but also with others and with my wife. And, uh, and so I, I felt that my resistance is still here, but I have it in front of me. You know, it's like someone sitting next to me all the time and, but I can see it. And so it doesn't control me fully. Well, I'm glad that you and I are together in this fantastic yes. journey. Just keep going through the resistance and just see what happens. And right. uh, the wonderful thing is it, it, what reminds me when I'm going through the resistance is what else do I do is to just go through it. Yes. And if if for for our listeners who may be caregivers, you know, for dementia, what could be our best advice for them or suggestion for them to do? Well, I think that it is important for caregivers who deal with people with dementia especially for the ones who, who, who have a relationship with, you know, patients with dementia and see them on a daily basis. Um, it's important, it's important to, to find sort of the, the middle line between being someone who gives energy to others, but also being someone who takes care of his or her own energy. And this is something that you could also actually apply to other types of patients in general, for caregivers in general. But it's particularly the case, I think, with people who have such, um, such a special type of patient group, such as people with dementia. And so it's, it's, I think it's also, part of it is also that's, that's also a recommendation that I give to, to, um, to the families of, um, of patients with dementia. I tell them it's very important to accept uh, that things are just as they are. And, you know, it's okay as it is. And to be realistic in that sense, you know, not to try to fight what's going on, not to take things too emotionally, in the sense of, um, you know, being angry at someone, either at uh, the patient himself or if it's a family member, but mainly to try to see that, and this is, I think, something that characterizes our, our earthly reality, namely that some problems in life are very complicated or even they don't have a solution. And this, this goes back to activating female energy, the thing that I spoke before, because female energy is what is going to allow you to say, well, it is as it is. Now I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to take care of my friends. 
And then I go back to that issue and try to change something on the outside. And then I go back and, you know, I just say, I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to accept things, to be patient. And so this duality is actually similar in the symbolic way, uh, in, in a way you can find that in the yin-yang, very classical. But I think our life is made of so many symbols of dualities. Um, and so that, that would be my recommendation to, you know, be in the middle. I thank you so much. And uh, it's uh, one of my favorite topic, actually, emotional autonomy, because I, I also have to help my clients manage their emotional wellness. And it could be difficult. It, that, the physical success is not as good as when they handle emotional wellness as well. So Absolutely. I and so, um, Dr. Ahmed Al-Hafed, could you please tell the audience where we could get your information or how they can connect with you? Well, um, ideally, uh, by sending me an email, for example, uh, that would be at alhafed at via propria. Maybe you can post that somewhere. Um, I'll try to answer email as much as I can and let's see how it goes, but uh, probably that would be the easiest way. Okay. And yes, um, to our audience, I usually put the description and underneath the podcast and right. if the information and I offer them 15 minute complimentary coaching, then they could ask me a question about what we talked about or if it's something that I can answer without um, bothering you because you're busy, but it's important and I'll still forward the, you know, the inquiry to you. Okay. I, and how, how do, um, what's going to happen in five years for you? I'm very optimistic, actually. And um, I, well, when, you, when you say five years, this is um, particularly in those Why? days. It's Maybe. such a long time. Uh, particularly in those days, because I expect, I expect a lot of changes on our planet in the coming five years. And I am, although I'm very critical about what's happening right now with, with the corona lockdowns and everything associated to that, I'm also very optimistic because I consider this corona issue um, as being a sign of a crisis and we humans, we need crisis to change, to, to get something new happening, something in the sense of a positive evolution. And I feel that in five years, a lot of, a lot of things have changed in my life and in the lives of many people. But I hope that uh, by the time I'm 50, because I'm 45 right now, so by the time I'm 50, I hope that I will have written two or three books, which I have carried in my, in my heart for the last 10 years, and that I will have many online programs so that people can access those in different languages. And um, yeah, I will be living somewhere with my family and enjoying life. <laughs> Wonderful. Congratulations in advance. I know it's going to happen. <laughs> thank you grace you're you're with me remember in business accelerators so all yes. dreams we work on it together yes absolutely absolutely um, and 
And uh, I will share what I call quantum affirmation to our audience. And this is like a habit that I have in the morning, at noon, and in the evening. I have like quantum cards like this, you know, and then I shuffle it with intention and with prayer and focus on what I can remember or what can guide me other than my prayers. And what I got is asking for guidance. And I I say three times in the morning, evening, and noon and evening. So it says, whenever I need answers, I humbly ask for spiritual guidance. I am open to the answers I receive. Then I act with love and thanksgiving. Whenever I need answers, I humbly ask for spiritual guidance. I am open to the answers I receive. Then I act with love and thanksgiving. Whenever I need answers, I humbly ask for spiritual guidance. I am open to the answers I receive. Then I act with love and thanksgiving. So thank you. And in my language, I say mabalos and mabalos to Ahmed Al-Hafed, Dr. Ahmed Halafed, but at the same time to our audience. And hopefully we were able to provide you some information and inspiration and act on whatever you can embrace actually give you a little bit of a change of something. It could be the most simple thing to change in your habit or your mindset. And hopefully with spiritual guidance, we, we hope that it could do a shift so that no matter where we are, as I say, don't let anything or anyone take the joy out of your life. Marvelous. Marvelous. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Grace. Thanks to your family. Thank you. Okay. Same to Bye. you. Take care, Grace. Bye-bye. Bye.